What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Look back to Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson's idea of what freedom meant versus the Reaganism freedom that we've experienced ever since, basically. You know, as America's right-wing billionaires are hanging out on their giant estates with their live-in servants, giving them instant COVID tests that, you know, hey, money doesn't matter. They're using the word freedom to describe their lifestyle in the right-wing media that they own or that they support. The headline over at Newsmax, it was no masking Biden's disdain for freedom. And one over at Red State references COVID tyranny. Bottom line is wealthy right-wingers have been telling this for years to us. And and a lot of Americans have bought into it that, you know, socialist programs and protective regulations actually diminish Americans' freedom. Don't you know? Freedom Works and their followers in the Tea Party said that Obamacare and Medicare are destroying America's freedom. Reagan told us Medicare would destroy freedom. And that to choose not to have health care and not to get any support or benefits from the government when you get sick, that's freedom. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate are refusing to pass a COVID relief bill right now. Why? Because uh, giving unemployed people money reduces their freedom and their incentive to look for a job. Remember this? Over and over we were hearing from Republican members of Congress, oh my God, $600 a week, who's going to work? You know, right. Donald Trump's press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, on Fox News. She was speaking about Oregon specifically. Today is the first day that we've closed all our restaurants again, and, and our governor, Kate Brown, is asking people to work from home if they can. I mean, you know, it's, it's a re- reasonable thing. She says, that's not the American way. We don't lose our freedom in this country. We make responsible health decisions as individuals. Republicans have this bizarre notion of what the word freedom means. But Americans who don't have live-in chefs and private pilots to take them around the country and private jets are, in my opinion, frankly, more inclined to agree with President Franklin Roosevelt, who pointed out in 1933 that necessitous men, people who live in necessity, in other words, people who have needs, necessitous men are not free men. If you're hooked up to a ventilator and you can't breathe, you're not free. If you're sick and you can't afford to pay for your health care, you're not free. If you're hungry and you can't buy food for your family, you're not free. If your landlord is throwing you out in the street because you can't pay your rent, you're not free. If you're afraid to hang out with your family because you don't want to put your at-risk relatives at risk of dying from the coronavirus because your government is refusing to do comprehensive testing and contact tracing, you're not free. You know, the majority of Americans, according to polls, want a different kind of freedom than what is described by Mitch McConnell and his Republican colleagues in both the House and the Senate. Average Americans overwhelmingly. Fox News had the poll up last week. 71% of Americans support Medicare for all. 
so that nobody again in America will ever go bankrupt because they got sick. Something that happens to a half million Americans a year and does not happen to any other citizen of any other developed country in the world ever. Most Americans want free education through college or trade school and quality primary schools so every young person who didn't grow up on a billionaire's estate can also achieve their full potential without bankrupting their parents or spending decades in essentially debt peonage. We want food and housing to be rights, not privileges, as Franklin Roosevelt proposed with his second Bill of Rights in 1944. Right-wing billionaires keep telling us that freedom means the, the, the freedom to die in debt. The freedom to remain edu- uneducated and stupid. The freedom to be hungry and homeless while working crap jobs at minimum wage that just make the billionaires richer. That's freedom in their definition. They say that freedom means that the small number of morbidly rich people have the right to suck up all the assets and resources of society, leaving almost nothing for the working class. Unemployment benefits, the minimum wage in their universe, are the opposite of freedom. They argue that the real meaning of freedom is tax cuts for billionaires and more poison and pollution for everyone else. If your air, if your water are contaminated by industry, hey, just suck it up because, you know, freedom. And now they're telling us that freedom means not just the right to kill other Americans with corporate pollution, but that free people have the right without consequence to infect other Americans with a deadly, debilitating disease. And as a result, people who watch billionaire Rupert Murdoch's Fox News, people who who, uh, follow or read billionaire Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook, people who follow right-wing websites funded in part by the billionaire Coke network, they're walking into stores without masks, they're planning holiday get-togethers, and they're spreading COVID all over the country. This billionaire idea of freedom is literally killing us. We have these two competing notions of freedom in the United States. This is this should be so clear to everybody. And, and uh, frankly, it's uh, you know one of the things that saddens me the most about the failure of democratic messaging, or maybe it's just the fact that you know there's not much of a democratic message machine. There's this huge right-wing network of right-wing radio and television stations and right-wing websites and right-wing. It just goes on and on and on. I mean, the right-wing billionaires have a lot of money, and they're constantly promoting this idea that freedom means freedom from. Freedom from government. That if government doesn't provide Social Security and Medicare, you're more free. Remember Ronald Reagan at the end of his anti-Medicare, that 33 LP that he sent out back in the 19, in 1967, that, you know, went to thousand. My dad had a copy of this. And at the very end, Ronald Reagan says, someday we'll look back and tell our children what it was like in America when men were free. Right. Before Medicare, honest to God, if you're young enough, you don't know what I'm talking about. Ronald Reagan, when the year that the Lyndon Johnson was pushing Medicare through Congress, did this recording that went out to every doctor in America. The AMA distributed it everywhere. He did it on behalf of the American Medical Association. Basically said that Medicare was socialism and socialism was going to destroy America. So in the Republican worldview, in the conservative and billionaire worldview, freedom is freedom from. Billionaires don't have to worry about government regulating their industries or forcing them to pay a decent wage. Freedom from. But I think most Americans think that freedom to is the kind of freedom that's important. Freedom to get a good job. The freedom to stay healthy 
in the United States, regardless of whether you have enough money to be able to pay absurd fees to doctors and hospitals. Freedom to express your opinions without you know, being squashed by billionaire-owned right-wing media. The freedom to you know, be safe, essentially. The freedom to have a home, to have shelter. The freedom to have an education. We really need to redefine freedom in the United States. We need to have this conversation. What does freedom mean? Particularly since for the last 40 years, since the so-called Reagan revolution, the so-called conservatives, these Edmund Burke, Burkean conservatives, Edmund Burke, you know, famously said that, uh, you know, a, a hairdresser or a tallow maker does no harm to society, but they would do violence to society if they were allowed to vote. Right. I mean, that, that's and we're seeing this played out right in Detroit. Oh, you know, don't certify those uh, those ballots cast by 78 percent black Detroit. Oh, we can't have that. Everywhere else is just fine. Thank you very much. But what is freedom? What is freedom for you? What does freedom mean anymore? And can we take that word back? I think we can. And I think we should. Let's dig into vaccines, where they come from, how they're funded, who owns them, who should own them, who profits from them. Nick Dearden is on the line with us. He's the director of Global Justice Now. He's a regular contributor to The Guardian, the author of the book Trade Secrets, also a founder of the UK's Stop Trump Coalition. Globaljustice.org.uk is the website. Nick Dearden, number 75. Nick Dearden 75 is his Twitter handle, as well as Global Justice UK. We've got now three COVID vaccines that are being promoted in the United States. I know Cuba has developed two of them that have been approved by the World Health Organization. China has developed one that's now got a WHO approval. Apparently, Russia has as well. So this is happening all over the world. But speaking of the ones that are going to be sold into the American market, or arguably the British market, you know, where you're working, what's the story? How did these vaccines come about? Well, they really come about with an awful lot of public money. You know, I mean, the American government particularly has put huge amounts of money in, the British government and others have as well. But, you know, the problem is this money is put into big pharmaceutical corporations to go off and manufacture these things and charge whatever the market will bear for them. And that's how dysfunctional the big pharma industry is. We have this industry, which is supposed to be about developing treatments to make us better and reduce suffering and debt in the world. But actually, they're completely driven by the profits that they can make. And they have trade rules that, you know, agreed in a WTO, which allow them to monopolize the stuff that they've come up with, the medicines they've developed with public money for a minimum of 20 years into the future. And during that time, they can charge what they want. So, you know, in answer to your first question, I think these should be owned by the people of the world. I mean, we des- we all, whoever we are anywhere in the world, we need this stuff so that we can overcome this pandemic and we can make sure as few people as possible need to die from it and the suffering is, is ended. But unfortunately, because these vaccines and these treatments are in the hands of a bunch of corporations that can charge what they want and are primarily interested in what they're going to give to their shareholders at the end of the year. That's not the case. And it's just the most enormous problem that we face as humanity. So I would guess the response to what you just said, Nick Dearden, from an advocate for the American and British capitalist system 
Well, we saw how well it worked out in the Soviet Union when the government took over the, the responsibility for, for the, the means of production, in this case, vaccine. Um, and it didn't work out all that well. Um, having companies operate based on a profit motive seems like, you know, a really rapid and efficient way to get things done. Are you suggesting that these companies should be put out of business or is there some sort of middle ground here where the government pays for the development, the government continues to hold the patent rather than giving the patent to the companies, licenses the companies to produce the vaccines, and as part of that licensing process requires them to make a profit, but a reasonable profit? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, there's no problem with the private sector necessarily developing aspects of these vaccines or treatments and manufacturing them, and they could make back their costs and they could make a reasonable return on that. But that's an entirely different thing from saying they have the monopoly to charge whatever they want for these treatments far into the future. That we um, develop. When, when Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you heard the news about Moderna that's mm. had a very positive breakthrough for its vaccine. I mean, that has been produced at the expense of the U.S. taxpayers almost entirely. I mean, U.S. taxpayers have paid for that almost entirely. Um, they have then had to buy. That was like two and a half billion from, dollars, too, wasn't it? Yeah. Huge amount, huge amount of money. Um, they then spent billions more buying these drugs off Moderna, and Moderna is still able to charge what it wants to sell any further drugs. And I mean, it looks at the moment like it's going to be the most expensive vaccine on the market. You're looking at about $75 for a single person to get vaccinated. That's an awful lot of money in the United States. But can you even begin to imagine how much that represents to somebody living, you know, in one of the many developing countries on the planet? I mean, they're just not going to be able to get hold of this stuff. And it's even worse because actually those countries can't at the moment just go and manufacture those drugs themselves. We believe they should be allowed to, but there are these rules at an international level by which that would be illegal under international trade law. A matter of fact, a number of countries are going to the World Trade Organization to argue that that law should be suspended for the period of the pandemic and they should be allowed to get the medicines to their people, which they so urgently need. You mentioned the Soviet Union earlier, but there's another example, and that's the HIV AIDS crisis in Southern Africa in the mid-90s, when millions of people died, not because we didn't have the treatments that could have saved their lives, prolonged their lives, and greatly reduced their suffering, but simply because the pharmaceutical corporations that were sitting on the patents for those drugs wouldn't release them at a price that people could afford. Now, you know, that's a scandal to compete against anything which happened in the Soviet Union, and that happened under this system. So we've really got to change. We've really got to change this system and make sure that it actually operates for the benefit of all of us. We all want healthy lives wherever we are in the planet. The public sector, the U.S. taxpayer and other taxpayers around the world are already paying for this stuff. There's absolutely no reason at all to hand it over to a small group of people to really profiteer from suffering. Yeah, these companies are absolute cash cows. This is not a situation that is unique to the COVID virus vaccine. Talking to Nick Dearden, the director of Global Justice Now, globaljustice.org.uk, is it not true that this is pretty much right across the board with all vaccines and arguably with a lot of other drugs as well, pretty much the case that you and I, as taxpayers of the, of the United States, the United Kingdom, we pay for the development or the vast majority of the cost of development of actual new drugs 
The pharmaceutical companies love to brag about how much they spend on R&D, but most of that work is tweaking existing drugs so that they can be repatented and extend their, their lock on the market for another 20 years. Five different variations on Valium or Prozac or whatever. That's the kind of research that they do. Whereas we're paying for the development of actual vaccines. And then you go back and you look at like the Salk and the Sabin vaccines for polio back in the day. Those were basically given to government, and yet companies are still making profits off those vaccines. I mean, isn't this a system-wide problem, not just a COVID vaccine problem? You're completely right. And we were indeed working on this before COVID. And in many ways, it just proved how important it was to campaign on these issues. And, you know, it's not even that they're producing the medicines that we need and charging too much. In many cases, they just don't have any incentive because they can't make enough profit from producing medicines that could massively reduce death in the world. I mean, antibiotics, right? We're becoming resistant to antibiotics. Pharmaceutical corporations have done nothing to develop those antibiotics in the last 30 years because they're not profitable enough for them. Our entire medical system depends upon antibiotics. So they're really dysfunctional. And what these companies actually do in terms of their spending is buy back their stock to keep the price high and pay out dividends to shareholders. They spend far more on that than they do on research and development. That is mind boggling. Uh, So it's all about gaming the system. And, you know, they're basically money machines. Therefore, they need regulation and they need strict regulation. Nick Dearden, the global director of of Justice Now, globaljustice.org.uk is the website. You can tweet him at Nick Dearden 75. Nick, thanks a lot for dropping by. Great talking with you. That's a pleasure. Thanks. Sponsoring the interview this week is... That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
Joe Biden is putting together, or Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are putting together their task force on COVID. Clinical nurse Teresa Brown, the author of two books, Critical Care and The Shift, Teresa Brown RN is her website, and Teresa Brown is her Twitter handle, noticed that there was a paucity, shall we say, a lack of nurses on the task force. So started a change.org petition. Petition has gotten thousands and thousands of signatures, and it's rolling along. And so I wanted to reach out to Teresa Brown and see what's up with all this. Teresa Brown, uh, Nurse Brown, and Teresa Brown is on the line with us. Teresa, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Tell us, what got you started on this? When the COVID task force came out and I saw that there were no nurses on it, I went to Twitter and was tweeting about it, as we do. And I found out there was a lot of really, really strong feeling among nurses that there not being a nurse on the task force was a really significant oversight, let's say. And actually, someone on Twitter said, you know what, Teresa, you should start a petition on change.org. And I thought, hey, yeah, why don't I do that? So I started a petition, and I would encourage people to go to it, change.org backslash nurse on task force. And you'll see a lovely picture of a nurse masked up with pulling aside her shirt and then a Superman ass underneath. Hmm. So, yeah, it was really nurse driven that got me to get this going. And then seeing the enthusiasm and the feelings of nurses on Twitter about this has kept me at it. You know, growing up, going to the doctor's office and that sort of thing, I had always sort of thought of nurses as the assistants to the doctors that one of my kids graduated from nursing school, was an RN for many years, is now an NP. And I have discovered that nursing is a standalone profession. It is subordinate to nothing and nobody, thank you very much. Without nurses and nursing, you don't have medicine. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit and help educate people who might be operating under the same misconception that I was before my oldest kid went to nursing school? That's a great point. And I had a a similar moment when my son was born that it's not the doctor who sat with me all during my labor and held my hand and encouraged me. And it wasn't a doctor in the hospital who checked how I was doing and how my son was doing. It was the nurses. And so I had that eye-opening moment myself. At that time, I was teaching English at Tufts University. I have a PhD in English. And it was my kids who got me to switch careers So that's how profoundly impressed I was with nurses. The analogy I was thinking about was, I think people often look at the military and they say doctors are officers and nurses are like the enlisted, right? That's a crude analogy, but we'll go with it. But the problem with that is the army in general is trying to keep an enemy at bay, right? They sometimes have to hurt people. They sometimes kill people. Healthcare has a completely different function. We're trying to heal people, which is a very, very complicated process that's becoming increasingly specialized. And so nurses are becoming increasingly knowledgeable and increasingly technically aware. And there are many, many arenas, as you say, where we basically function on our own. It's nurses monitoring hospital floors. I worked in home hospice for several years. It's nurses who are the point person for the hospice team. It's nurses who work in skilled nursing facilities. And yeah, we check in with doctors for things that are needed and the doctors do their job and we do our job. And our job is to be with the patients, to take care of them 24 seven 
um, and also to work in the community. So a really important point with the COVID task force is that Vic Murthy has talked about the challenge of getting everyone vaccinated. Well, nurses give shots. We are year after year voted the most trusted profession. And nurses are talking in articles online about trying to work with patients who don't believe that COVID is real and how difficult that is. Wouldn't it be great to have a nurse on the task force who could talk about how can we get nurses to really work with patients about, yes, COVID is real. Yes, I would recommend this vaccine. Yeah, masking does help. It would make a big difference. Definitely would. So how is that going? I mean, you've got the petition over at change.org. You know, are you getting any response from the administration? Have you seen any movement? I've heard about some whispering. I have not personally gotten a response. So I'm just going to keep at it and hope for the best. And we'll see what happens. And if there's not a nurse on the COVID task force, what I really want the petition to do, I mean, I would like it to accomplish that. But if it doesn't accomplish that, what I would like for it to do is put out in the ether and in people's minds, nurses need to be involved in the American response to COVID not just at a sort of boots on the ground level, but also at a leadership level, because our workflow, our responsibilities, how we do our job is completely different from doctors. And we need people in the leadership roles who understand how we work and what we can do. So I would love to have a nurse on the task force. If it doesn't happen, I would love to see nurses still working on the U.S. response to COVID. Yeah, I'm, I'm I totally wish I could say that, that Joe Biden had called me, but <laughs> yeah, well, you never know. Some years ago, uh, probably six, eight years ago, maybe a little longer, I was the keynote speaker for the uh, Physicians for National Health Plan, PNHP, group mm-hmm. at their annual convention in Seattle. I'm good friends with a number of people who are members of National Nurses United. In fact, they were one of the first unions to endorse Bernie Sanders. So, you know, there's a couple of fairly political organizations, PNHP with docs, National Nurses United with nurses, who are advocating for large plans, you know, national health care for all, Medicare for all, things like that. What's your sense of across the landscape of nursing, the extent to which nurses are involved in politics or the extent to which, I mean, we've had over a thousand healthcare professionals now die in the last mm. few months from COVID and nurses are very much on the front lines here. What's the extent to which we're seeing in a positive way, nurses becoming more politically active? I think we are seeing that. Traditionally, nurses often feel like I'm just gonna keep my head down and do my job and that's gonna keep me safe, right? And with COVID, nurses started to see, no, that's not working because we don't have enough personal protective equipment or, I'm a pregnant nurse and I'm being told I have to go take care of COVID patients and that's it. I just have to do that. So nurses have been put into these situations that are literally in some cases life threatening. And it's made them realize that just keeping your head down is not going to work in extreme situations. And I would say in general, it doesn't work. I mean, I've through my writing at the New York times and my books, I've, try to always speak up and represent nurses, but I also know how scary that can be. But I think we are going to see nurses talking a lot more. Yeah, and a fine thing it is that nurses are important voices. 
Teresa Brown, RN, clinical nurse, author of two books, Critical Care and The Shift. TeresaBrownRN.com is the website, and Teresa Brown is the Twitter handle. Teresa, thanks for dropping by. Thank you. That's all for this week's Science Revolution. You can find the video portions of the Science Revolution on YouTube and check out our Facebook page.